you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. All right, Sarah, grab your phone and monitor the Facebook comments for just a second. I, I want to do another poll. I've only done one in my entire time at Andover because uh, I don't like to do polls unless I, I think I know the answer. The, the first one I got right, hardly any of you picked Mark as your favorite gospel. This time, I want to see if I have in my head this, this uh, truth behind a hypothesis. I want you to Raise your hand or comment on Facebook uh, as I walk through the church calendar your favorite time of the Christian year, okay? Advent. Christmas. Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Epiphany. Ash Wednesday. Nobody for Ash Wednesday. I love Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're going to return to the earth. That's some pretty good stuff. Lent. Okay, we got, a, we got one for Lent. Easter. Okay. The Easter season. Ascension Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Trinity Sunday. And the season after Pentecost that we also call, call ordinary time. <laughs> oh, Betty's on this. Ordinary time's great. I love it. It's the time of being in the church, right? Shockingly, uh, I don't think any of you picked Ascension Sunday. Did anybody online? Okay. Just Easter. Most of you like Easter and Christmas, right? These are our, our primary seasons. But today is Ascension Sunday, and it's usually the Sunday that a lot of preachers uh, kind of need a break. They've done Holy Week. They've done Easter. They've kind of preached these first few Sundays of Easter season, and they're like, whew, let's let someone else preach. So somehow at Offerings, I preached Ascension Sunday every year for like five years in a row because Teddy needed a break by that point. So I have fallen uh, pretty madly in love with this Sunday in the church calendar. It's this this Sunday that stands in the gap between resurrection and Pentecost. The Sunday uh, that really becomes crucial to us having a full Christology. If we kind of stop with Easter and skip straight to Pentecost, we have this great picture of Jesus as Savior. Jesus who died for our sins, he canceled uh, the penalty of our ways, Uh, that's great. Jesus is our our Savior. But with Ascension Sunday, we get to say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, because we we read in the text that he ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father. You hear this in our creed, right? Uh, On the third day, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. If you're from the old school, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, he, He ascends to reign. He His preferred designation, Son of Man, uh, is predicated on this idea that the Son of Man would rise to the glory, sit at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, and rule over the whole of the cosmos. You hear in our uh, great thanksgiving during most of our seasons, and at his ascension you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. And it's the ascension that gives us Pentecost. If, If Jesus didn't go... The Spirit wouldn't have come. We'd be uh, a a movement that still had to go to Jerusalem or wherever Jesus had made his home by now. It could have been the coast of Italy. I don't know. But we'd have had to go find his body somewhere. 
The ascension gives us Jesus as Lord and Savior and it makes room for the Spirit. It's, it's such an important text that Luke in his grand work, the, the, the story of Luke and Acts, he tells it twice. At the end of, of his gospel, he, he gives this real brief ascension story. He says, uh, the disciples, uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples, said, the Spirit is coming, go to Jerusalem, pray and wait. And then if you flip through your Bible, you have to flip through John to get to the rest of Luke's story, right? But eventually you get to Acts. And Acts starts this way. Uh, before he was taken up by the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, that is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who were gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As Jesus said these things that they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, they were staring towards heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son, all were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Picture this scene. These, these 12, which we know is more than 12, because the patriarchal text says, and the women. Come on. This crowd of Jesus followers that is sometimes numbered at 70 or 120 have encountered Jesus post-resurrection. They have, they have seen his wounds and they know this good news. And then he says, now go and wait. Go sit and wait for what I promised. And their first response is to keep staring at the heavens. It takes an angel from God to descend beside them and say, go and do what he said. He'll come back, don't you worry. Go and wait. And so the text says that they went back to their place and, and they sat in prayer and fellowship. Most of us, this kind of ends the ascension story and we just wait for Pentecost, right? Uh, we're, we're waiting for the Spirit to pour out. But there's one narrative event in the whole of Scripture between the ascension and Pentecost. And it's this, this text that I think Kathy did a beautiful job of pointing us to for, for the, the replacement for Judas. Judas has died. He is, uh, uh, they believe, fulfilled scripture that there is this uh, one who betrays. And, and then they look and say, there's 11 of us. Scripture says you have to, to give away the traitor space so that there's 12. They, they in some way understand the 12, uh, the 12, that's a good designation, uh, as representing the 12 tribes of Israel. We need to, to fill this space. And so the question becomes, what is the criteria to be one of the 12? We, we know that there will be others called apostles. There's lots of people called disciples. But, but what do you have to have done to be part of the 12? And, and they lay it out. The criteria is 
having been with them from Jesus' baptism to his resurrection. As if this is not strange, right, that somebody who is not part of the 12 would have given up all of, of whatever they had to go and follow this Jesus movement, not as one of the 12, from baptism to resurrection. And there are two candidates. I got to imagine there's like 68 more who did everything but one part, right? Like, if I had that one more thing on my resume, I could have been part of the group. But we have these two, Justice and Matthias, who have been there from the beginning. It's only recently that I realized that people were at, at Jesus' baptism who then later became his disciples. Imagine before they're called, sitting on the, the, the outskirts, outskirts of the, the River Jordan and watching this thing, this, this scene where John the Baptist has all these followers fomenting excitement and and re repentance and, and hope. And, and then Jesus comes and, and John's like, this is the one I was talking about. And then following him all the way to this day. I, I love that Luke has given us an orderly account of what that meant. They were at the baptism. They saw Jesus pulled away by the Spirit into the wilderness for temptation they were there when he announced his mission statement that he was here because the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release of, of the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They were there when he went out to Capernaum. They were there when he called disciples. They were there when he healed the lepers. When he gave those who were paralyzed the ability to stand and walk. They were there when Jesus called other disciples. When he said, hey, tax collectors, fishermen, zealots, come and be part of what I'm doing. They were there when the masses began to, to come and hear his sermon on the plain. They were there when Jesus said that, uh, bring the children to me. They were there when he healed servants and raised widows' children. He was there. They were there when John the Baptist's uh, disciples came and said, are you really the one we had hoped for? They were there when he healed more people, when he said that forgiveness was the sign of the kingdom. They were there when he preached about uh, the parable of the soils and this idea that, uh, that we, can, we can be receptive to the work God is doing or we cannot be. They were there when he calmed the seas. They were there when he healed the woman who had been menstruating for 12 years and raised Jairus' daughter from dead. They were there when Jesus sent out the disciples, when he called them back. They were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with hardly anything. They were there when Jesus began to warn about his arrest and the cost of following him. They were there when Jesus sent them all out and they were there when Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan and what it really means to love your neighbor. They were there when Jesus said, let me tell you how to pray. They were there when the religious leaders began to condemn and to chase after Jesus. They were there when Jesus said, look, the love of money is going to cause you major problems. It's not enough to follow the commandments, but if you can't give up your love of money, you have no hope. 
They were there when Jesus said, be prepared. Don't become apathetic. Keep the lamps lit. Watch out for the thief comes in the night. They were there when he infuriated the leaders by healing on the Sabbath. They were there when Jesus tried to explain that that all would be welcome. They were there when Jesus told people to pick up their cross and follow him. They were there when Jesus argued with the Pharisees and ultimately signed his death warrant. They were there when Jesus would heal a Samaritan, when he would announce the kingdom was coming, when he would uh, bless Zacchaeus, where he would tell the rich man, sell everything you have and follow me. They would be there when he predicted his death, there when he healed the blind man. They'd be there when he would ask them to go into service. They would be there when he rode into town on a colt. He would, they would be there when he turned over the tables in the temple. They would be there as they watched the religious leaders try to trap Jesus. They would be there as they tried to trick him about the resurrection. They would be there when Jesus critiqued the entire religious establishment and said, shame on you that this widow has to give her last two coins. They would have been there when Jesus said, I'm going to tear this all down in three days. It will be rebuilt. They were there when he talked about the fig tree and fruit, hearts that are faithful to him. They'd have been there when the plot to kill Jesus began to spread around town. They would have been there around the Passover meal. They would have been there when, when Jesus was betrayed and denied. They would have pulled back and been a little farther away as this began to happen and, and Jesus was rejected. They would have been somewhere nearby when Jesus went before Pilate, when the crowds demanded uh, instead of, or Barabbas instead of Jesus. They would have seen as uh, Simon the Cyrene carried Jesus' cross up the mountain when Jesus no longer could do it. Probably off in the distance they could see when Jesus breathed his last breath. And then they waited until the women told them what had happened. He's no longer there. They'd have been around as news got around that Jesus was appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and then directly to them. They would have been there for all of this and we never once hear that they wanted to be anything more than who they were. John's gospel says that uh, if we tried to record everything Jesus had done in his life, the, whole, the scrolls in the whole world could not have contained all those events. And we have these people who were there for all of it. Every single bit. And, and all we basically know about them are their names. The disciples say, okay, these are the criteria. You had to have been there for all of that. If, if you were... You could fill the spot. And there were two, Justice and Matthias. And, and that's as far as they could go. 
They didn't sit around and go, well, Justice cooks better. Matthias is is not nearly the jerk that Justice is when he's tired, uh, but Justice has more friends, so maybe they can fund our ministry better. Instead, they say, this is the criteria. Lord, search our hearts. And so they uh, cast lots, trusting on the Lord to to name who should be uh, this 12th uh, member of the 12, right? This, this, uh, I can't remember how Kathy said it was beautiful, but the one who, who backfilled the team, right? Uh, God chooses Matthias. And we don't hear anything else about him. Tradition is even fairly sparse on him. Uh, the tradition holds that he goes throughout Jerusalem and Judea and stays there even when the persecution begins and that uh, as the others scattered out to share the good news elsewhere, he stayed in Jerusalem and was stoned. Why have this text in the scriptures? I I think the easy first answer is it gives us the criteria for the apostolicity of the 12, right? Uh, It's going to become important to know that uh, as as we begin to canonize our text of the Bible, that that people uh, had a relationship with one of the ones who were Christ's 12. This gives us a clear set of markers to say, well, why wasn't uh, this person one of the 12? Or why wasn't this person? This is the criteria. But I think there's so much more. I think there's this picture of, uh, of, first of all, two people who gave up everything with none of the glory. They were not the star pitcher on the team. They never hit the cycle. I don't know sports much, so I'm just think, doing the few examples I know. Because uh, Kathy talked about sports. I'm really bad at, at sports ball stuff. But um, they never, never were the stars and yet they remained faithful. And then even when it was time, we don't hear of them uh, campaigning, make me the 12th. And you know you would want to, right? This feels to me like something I would really want. If I were these people who had done all this, I would want that spot. And they all sit and wait for God. He had... Jesus had told them to go and wait for the Spirit. And and, and even before they have the Spirit gift, they are waiting for God to tell them who is going to fill the spot. I think that preaches for me for sure. What does it look like to never chase the glory or the fame or the goodness, but to be faithful in following the person of Jesus Christ? What does it look like uh, not... Uh, desire the, the large ease of uh, Christianity, but instead to be faithful in this spot that God has put us, knowing that we might not ever be in the history books or the, the story of the Wesleyan way or any of that, but that we might be faithful to what God has called us. And then beyond that, what might it look, for us, look like for us to do that while trusting that God would answer us? That, that there are things we know and things that we are sure of that we are called to go and do, but that at times we need to stop and wait. Kathy Beach always makes a big deal about prayer in the life of the church. If we're not a praying church, how can we ever hope to accomplish the mission that God has set before us? And the older I get and the more pandemics we have, the more I am confident that this is absolute truth, that sometimes we need to sit on our knees and wait for God to know us and search our hearts and to answer our prayers. What would it look like for us to follow the Jesus movement and to trust that God would answer?
to be willing to spend that time on our knees to, to hope and to trust and to eventually hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What would it look like? It's a dream that keeps me up at night in, in exciting ways. It's a desire I have for my life because I believe what it is. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to, to truly love God and to love our neighbor and allow the Spirit to transform us, to, to shed any of our selfish desires and ambitions, which, whew, that's a hard thing to do. The Spirit keeps pulling them out of me, kicking and screaming. But this is the work that the Spirit is going to do. As God's sanctifying grace is poured out in our means of grace, as we wait and trust and hope, what would it look like? I've had so many glimmers of, uh, of that this year. To have uh, spent time in prayer with so many of you and in study in so many different places to, to speak to you in the phone or through text and to hear how God is working in and through you. How uh, it might not be in glorious, uh, mighty, shout it from the streets kind of ways, but God is doing a powerful thing in you. And how you are waiting and trusting in God. May it continue to be so. May we open ourselves up to God's grace and to God's leading. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for raising Christ from the dead and for your spirit, for all that your spirit does. Thank you for uh, the way in which Christ sits and reigns at your right hand, the way that you, Christ, receive our prayers and bring them before the Father, the way you reign as Lord of our lives and in that declare that nothing else is Lord. Thank you for the way your spirit uh, never leaves us, the way you help us be humble and the way you assure us that you do in fact know our hearts and seek to journey with us in all that you would have us do. Lord, would you lavish us with your grace that we might be a holy people, sanctified through and through, perfect and holy love, and pointing the world to your throne of grace. We love you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.